0: We can do better than that. Let's welcome downtown. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Hey, you can high five two people and be seated. You can high five two people and be seated. So good. So good. Well, you'll be able to say one day that you came to the first ever 1115 service. So hopefully you got to sleep in a little more, and uh, this is just to make space for parking and get to hang out and make space as we come to this service. So, so glad to have you with us this weekend, and I want to look at the back of the room at that camera and say, good morning, Chapel downtown. I got a bunch of texts at how great the 930 service was. Good morning, 1115. We're so excited about what God is doing and uh in the on the way in in the worship guide you got a little note sheet there we're doing something different for this month where we're going through um uh, little teaching notes. If you want to take those out, you can do that. And somebody asked about the notebooks on the way out at the next step table. You, you can take those. You've already paid for those with your giving if you want to collect those. But um, I'm really excited to be able to share this weekend. And I've been excited because I've been growing um, just with a conviction that anxiety and worry is an epidemic in our culture. And, in fact, that this is a struggle in our culture like never before, and I came across a statistic that I wanted to show you this weekend that will help you see that, and that is that we are four percent of the world's population as a country, but we are consuming eighty five percent of the antidepressants and so um, I want to say this as a church we are not we, we are very um, pro counseling and we we're not against medication or anything like that but We are noticing that this is a trend in our culture, that we're just a stressed out people. (laughs) In fact, I was reading a study this weekend uh, uh, in prep for this weekend that said that people who uh, move to the U.S. from third world countries experience elevated anxiety when they get here. So think about this. Uh, we we feel bad for them that they don't have some of the conveniences of mon- modernity that we have, and then they move to our country, and their stress level goes up, and so the land of stars and stripes is becoming the land of stress and strife, isn't it? And so we just want to give a month of our time to really look at this issue of anxiety and to ask the question, how can God help us process worry and anxiousness and how can he help us work through it? And you can see even, even our children are stressed out. <laughs> hey, let's give it up for all the moms that work so hard. Come on, love you. I just want, I want you to know this. If you ever wonder if babies throw me off, they don't. I had four of them, and I loved my kids when they turned 18 months old. Each of them, I love them with all my heart. <laughs> And you know, this has become just an issue in our culture, hasn't it? Uh, stress and anxiety and, and, and how, do you, how do you process that? And so we, we've been dealing this month with how do we deal with anxiety in our life and how do we process stress? And I want to share with you a verse and then we're going to dive in this weekend. The, the Bible says in 1 John 4:18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love. Help me out. Come on, help me out. What does it do? It casts out Fear. Casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And I I think we live in a culture that's scared. In fact, we pay to get scared. It's kind of weird, isn't it? We pay to go uh, uh, to—anybody ever been to King's Dominion haunted horror thing, right? I've been there, and that's a lot of fun, sort of. And uh, we watch horror movies, and and we, we pay to skydive and bungee jump. In fact, when we're not stressed out, we pay people to be stressed out. And fear is an issue in our culture, and I, I was just thinking of that. Not only does it affect us uh, um, spiritually and mentally, it almost is affecting our culture physically as well with ulcers and stomach pain. A couple of years ago when I was feeling stressed out, one of my eyes would just blink when I wasn't thinking about it. You know what I mean? I remember being at lunch somewhere and the server kind of winking back at me, and I was like, sir, <laughs> I did not mean this, you know. <laughs> I just can't control this thing going on here, you know. In fact, there was a while I was feeling stressed. I was up at night keeping lists of stuff, and Katie would just fall asleep, like peacefully. Have you ever been stressed out, and when someone around you isn't, it makes you angry? Come on. Wake up. There's nuclear weapons and and, and all the challenges of the world. You need to be a little more stressed out. You know, fear is a challenge. In fact, I'm convinced it's even it's even evidencing itself in our driving. You know, I think uh, road rage is a is a symptom of this. You got dads going on vacation in minivans, pretending it's NASCAR. You know what I mean? All just stressed out on the road. I don't know why. Like I go on a trip and I tell the kids sit down. Everyone go to the bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom? No, because we're gonna make time and I gotta beat this Corolla. And I and I, and I just I don't know. I got play. I, I got nowhere to go. No time to be anywhere. But I'm stressed. I'm gonna be the GPS I I, I don't know why I I just how many know we need to chill out as a culture right in fact I just want to show you a couple things that fear does before we really get into the teaching notes and the first thing is fear is vision without hope okay so it's when you can look down in the future and, and you can see the future but you have no hope and I've heard people say you need food and water to live but I think you also need hope to live how many believe you need hope to live right and, and what, what, what fear is is it's when I look down the corridor into the future and I don't see anything good, I, I, and, and I'm robbed of hope. And In fact, fear does this. It, it travels to worst-case scenarios, doesn't it? Like the, the light on your dash goes on, and you're like, oh, it's my transmission. <laughs> your, your sixth grader fails a science quiz, and you say, oh, man, they're never going to move out. They're going to live in my basement their whole life. Fear travels to the worst case scenario, doesn't it? It sees the future and gets caught in that. In fact, fear also does this. Fear turns us into false prophets, doesn't it? we prophesy the future we think we know what's coming and it's all bad in fact let me just take a poll downtown south this morning how many of you have ever feared something in the future that did not come to pass come on you were a false prophet right you're like oh i know what's coming it's going to be bad i don't know and that's what fear does it turn it literally projects into the future all doom and all apocalyptic and all the end of the world and and none of it none of it happens in fact, fear ultimately, it, it makes us selfish. I really believe this is true. It makes us focused on ourselves. I remember the biggest season of my life for about six months that I went through uh, just almost panic attacks, kind of phobia, was right after my firstborn daughter was born, Hallie. And for the first time in my life, at 26 years of age, I just it occurred to me that my life was consequential and that, that this baby was relying upon me. And so people would, everyone would say, that baby's so cute. But all I saw was, a, it was 18 years of dependence on me when I looked in the crib. I know it might seem weird to you, but I just started to fear dying. I, I started to fear getting sick. In fact, I would say to Katie, feel this. What's this? Like, on my neck, feel this. And she's like, your collarbone? And I was like... Do you have one too? Like, (laughs) I got so weirded out. I thought, honestly, I thought I had a heart. Condition. I went to the doctor. They ran some tests and said you're fine. And I, I came back and I said, Well, that's not true. Uh, it actually turned out that President Clinton had a heart attack after a clean bill of health and got got in my head. And I went back to the doctor and I was like, You didn't run me through a dual isotope exam. So I did so so I got back on a treadmill. I drank this this potion and, and, I, and I'm on a treadmill. 26 years old, doc, find out what's going on. I'm dying. I'm dying. And the doctor sat me down and he said, I have bad news and good news. The good news is you're perfectly fine fine the bad news is something's wrong in between your ears in fact I said to my wife what if I die and she said we have plenty of life insurance we'll be fine I'll tell you what that day I never walked in front of her downstairs ever again I just never did I lowered the amount I had as well I didn't want to be worth more dead than alive put temptation in her path and uh you know, fear makes us selfish. We're focused on ourselves and our own struggles and what we're we're facing. And man, man, here, here's just the last thing here is fear is a spirit that needs to be cast out. And in fact, the verse we read a second ago from First John four eighteen says that perfect love casts out all fear. And in fact, that's the same phrase that's used in the Gospels, which are the books of the Bible that tell the life of Jesus. When Jesus came and he would cast spirits that were controlling and possessing and oppressing people, that same phrase, cast out, is used here to describe fear being cast out of our life. And so I'm here to remind you this weekend that fear is not your friend. Fear is your foe, and it is not a gift of God. It's an attack of the enemy to ruin our present, destroy our future, Future, take our mind and put it somewhere else. And I have great news this weekend. God has more for us than lives filled with dread and doom and despair and fear. How many are thankful for that this weekend? Right? Like thankful. <clears throat> that God has more for us. So Jesus comes along, and we started it last week, and in in his most famous sermon, he tells us as he's sitting, uh, instructing a a mass of people on the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us how to get over fear. And here's what he tells us, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. He says, I'm telling you something, you don't have to worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So Jesus tells us we don't have to worry about our everyday life. And then he talks about all the things we worry about, our bills and and, and how to provide and, and the future and just the stuff of life. And let's just be honest this weekend, the stuff of life will get you stressed out, won't it? It'll get you worried and it'll get you fixated on some different things. And Jesus says we can live a life better than that. And he talks to them about a better kind of life. He says, You don't have to worry about your food or your drink or your clothes you wear. In fact, in five times in this chapter, he's gonna say, Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Anxious." And and when I was first reading this chapter a couple weeks ago, the more Jesus said, Don't be anxious, I felt I felt anxious about it. You know what I mean? Hey, don't be anxious. Okay. I said, don't be, don't be anxious. Hey, hey, don't be anxious. How many feel you get a little anxious, don't you? It's pretty weird, you know, but it gives us some reasons why our anxiety can be driven away. And you need to know that in this culture, they didn't have refrigeration. And so they were very much worried about their food every day. That's why Jesus taught them to pray. Give us this day our what help me out Our what? daily bread because they didn't, they didn't have a refrigerator so they could keep their milk cold and their eggs cold. And every day they had to trust in new, uh, new food to provide for their families. And, and so Jesus comes along and says, I know you're worried every day. Where are you going to get your food for the day and your, and the clothes you're going to wear? And there, there, there's a better way of life than worrying every day. I, I didn't realize this till I got married. And that was that different families have different Perspectives on when food gets old, okay? Amen. Isn't this true? Uh, my, my wife's, m- my mother-in-law, who's the sweetest lady in the world, she'll be here next Sunday, but she, she I, I don't get this. This is a dysfunction, okay? There'll be bread with mold on it and she will cut the mold off of that piece of bread and then say, there's plenty of good bread left here. Is this insane? Or... <laughs> and so I got married, when, and, and, and now I got married, and I when I, I brought my tradition, my family, if it's like within a week, we're like, oh, that's pretty close. We just throw it. In fact, if there's mold in bread, and it's, in a, and it's next to another container of bread, I just throw them off. If it looks moldy, if I feel it, and it doesn't squish right, I'm throwing it out. Come on. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Like, I want some fresh bread. She's going, she wants to buy bread and freeze it and will re-defrost it, and I'm pretty sure I can handle one drive, .7 miles, to any of three, three grocery stores to get brand new bread. I'm not buying it, I'm not freezing it, I'm not reusing it, and this was the first year of marriage, just conflict, you know what I mean? In fact, in fact, we'll have two gallons of milk and one, you know, there'll be one with a little bit left and she'll buy a new gallon and put it in. And when I see a new gallon of milk and a, and a, and a used gallon of old milk, how many know I'm going to open the new gallon of milk? There's something about the noise of the snap, 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 snap. When the little, oh, and she would come in the room and say, why? there's a whole thing of milk. And I say, I don't want it. That, that's why we have children. They can drink the old milk. I'm drinking the new milk, put it on the cereal, add some Bisquick new, or Nesquick or whatever. I, I, this, is long. this is about a one-minute illustration that I've made four and a half minutes. You're welcome. 11.15, I'm tired. And, and Jesus comes along to people who have uh, an expectation of every day they've got to provide for themselves, and, and they're worried and they're anxious, and he tells them this, just write it down, number one, he tells them money can't bring you security, only God can. How many know, you? I've never met somebody who's like, I got plenty of money, you know? In fact, if you're here this weekend and you have too much money, Pastor Joel would like to meet you after service. <laughs> right? We're we're worried about how do I provide for things? And Jesus, Jesus comes to the people and he says, listen, money can't bring you security. In fact, you know this, when we look to money to bring us security, we're asking money to do something it was never created to do. Only God can bring us security. In fact, one of the number one causes of, of relational strife and, and divorce and conflict in, in life and in home and in work is surrounding money, you know, in fact, let me ask you this weekend, downtown South. How many of you have worried about money at least once in the last two years? Come on, worried about money. Okay, yeah, most of us. Some of you have two hands up, yeah. <laughs> and some people think money can, can take away your fears. In fact, Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 11. He said, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. As though you can earn enough money to never have another fear. And that's just not true in life. Money can't secure or, or insulate us from challenges. In fact, we can't look at it, but earlier in the chapters, verses uh, 18 to 22, Jesus said we pick one of two masters. Either God is our master and we follow him, or money is our master and we follow it. But we have to choose where our trust is. In fact, I I think it's pretty cool that when you take out literally the currency that's in your wallet, uh, um, if you're under the age of 20, there's something called paper money, okay? And on that, it declares, in God we what? Come on, in God we... Trust A reminder to us that, this, that no currency or, or retirement or, or job or ability is our security. How many know the reason you have a job is God gave you ability to get a job? The intellect, the capability. How many know everything we have is a gift from God? In fact, it's not on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 4, 7 is one of the best verses in the New Testament where it says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it as a gift, why do you boast as though you did not Everything you have, including the ability to make money, comes as a gift from God. And so we got to keep our hearts from being proud and thinking, my wealth, my ability, my strength is my strong defense. No, no, no. No, no, no. Our hope is in God. God alone can be, can be the one who gives us security. In fact, just write this down. I think we can be so busy making a living that we miss out on making a life. <laughs> And we think, well, I'm going to insulate myself and work a little harder and provide a little more and get this a little more right. And I'm not against saving and planning and all that kind of thing, but I'm just simply saying this, money, money can't provide you security. Only God can. Money cannot provide you security. Only God can. A couple of years ago, I was sitting with my grandma and she said, oh, pray for me. And I said, all right, Graham, what do you need prayer for? And she said, well, I have all these retirement accounts and I don't need the money, but They're going to start taxing me if I don't draw money out. So just pray for me. And I said, oh, I'm praying a lot right now. (laughs) Have you ever heard of feed my starving children? I mean, my starving children, Graham, you know. (laughs) Whether you have a little money or a lot of money, one of the challenges in life is to learn to not place our trust in our stuff, but place our trust in our God, right? So Jesus is sitting there, and he's teaching his people. And if you were with us last week, and we brought a couple birds on the stage, and, and we, Jesus said, look at the birds and how God provides for the birds. And the good news is we gave those birds away. Thank you for those of you who took them, and my daughters are still crying. But uh, <laughs> Jesus then does something strange. He kind of motions towards the hills. And, and, he, and, and the hills are filled with wildflowers. And he says this. Let me show you it, Matthew 6. Look at the what? Come on, help me out. Look at the what? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the wealthiest king of all of Israel, Solomon in all his glory wasn't even dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So I want you to picture Jesus looks and he sees all the lilies and all the wildflowers on the field. And he says, you know how these, their shelf life's not very long. They, 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 I mean, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months. But before you know it, they dry up and are dead. And here's what he says. Number two, that if God clothes temporary things like flowers, he'll take even better care of you. And in fact, he actually says this, he holds up some of the wildflowers, and he says, even the richest man who ever lived, Solomon, who dressed in the perfect clothing, wasn't dressed like these flowers. We know from history that Solomon, it's interesting, Solomon would never wear the same thing twice. Okay, you think you like clothing, that's a guy with a problem, right? Never wore the same thing twice. In fact, so that no one would have the king's attire. After Solomon took his shirt off or robe off, they would burn it. Okay, so think about, this is an egomaniac, right? He, he literally wore things one time, then they took them and burned his clothing. Listen, he only shopped at Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm just saying. And Jesus says, even Solomon wasn't dressed like these beautiful flowers in the field that exist for a month or two. In the ancient world, their ovens were made of clay and brick, and they would have clay up top, and the brick would hold it underneath. And if that oven wasn't hot enough, what they would do is they'd take the dry flowers of the field and the grass, and they'd create a mini brush fire under the oven where they'd throw a bunch of it and create this flash fire for a second. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's literally saying, he points at the field, at all these flowers, and he says, if God so creatively designs something like this flower, that's going to live for such a short period of time before being cut down and used to heat an oven, how much more do you think he's going to take care of you who just happen to be going to live forever? (laughs) And he says, listen, if I clothe this grass... I'll clothe you. I have great news this weekend. God is not only big enough to help us, but he's small enough to enter into our circumstances and provide for us. Isn't that good news, right? And he looks at the field, and just imagine Jesus sitting there, motioning at the field and saying, you see all the brilliance of the color of this field? You see the kaleidoscope of beauty and color all over this field? thats God creates that, and this is going to die any day. How much more is God going to take care of you and what you need? I have great news. God knows, and God cares for us, right? And he meets our needs, and he tells them if grass, which has a short shelf life, God's going to take care of forever, how much more is God going to take care of us? And he calls us to trust. And then he kind of corrects them. And, and I want to correct us this morning because Jesus does it. He, he corrects their thinking because he says that their theology is right, but their practice is wrong. Let me, let me show you it. Matthew 6, 33, he says... When you're when you're only thinking about what you eat, what you eat and what you can wear and how to provide, when these things dominate your thoughts, you're living like an unbeliever. But your heavenly father already knows you need them. So let me just say it this way. When you and I live anxiously, we could be a we could be an honest Christian, but we're living as though we're practical atheists. Does that make sense? So, like, yeah, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. You believe he died on the cross? Totally. You believe he rose from the dead? Absolutely. Holy Spirit in me, returning from me, all that kind of stuff. But you see, but, but I'm so nervous and I'm so afraid. And catch this, friends, if we're not careful, we are theological Christians, but practical atheists because we're living as those who, who have no hope, no sense of security around them. And so God says when that happens and you and I are living anxious lives free from the care of our father, we're living as though, as though we don't have a genuine trust in God. He's literally correcting us and saying, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, here it is. Number three, worry literally shows that you don't understand your status in the family. Your status in the family. The other day, Katie texted me and said, our boys missed their bus. And I was like, oh, great. And then a minute later, she said, no, they didn't. They they ended up getting on it later. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird, they missed their bus and got on it later. So... I asked them that night, I said, tell me what happened with the bus. And they said, well, we missed the bus, but we knew the bus after making a couple other stops was going to come back down the main road. So we waited for the bus. And I said, well, how do you know the bus would stop? You missed your stop. It's coming back the other way. And they said, because the bus driver goes to the chapel. (laughs) Come on. They said, we just flagged her down. She's so nice. (laughs) How many know there are perks being connected to authority? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. When you're living in fear, you're not understanding. You have a father. I'm here to remind you this weekend that if Jesus is your Savior, then you're his daughter and his son. That means he isn't just a king and a creator, but he's a Savior that you are personally connected to. And you're in his family. Your status in his family is as his child. And how many know fathers do things for their children? Anybody glad for that this weekend, right? Like our confidence is in our identity. Identity, And when we are anxious, what we're doing is we're losing sight of the status of God, that he's not just a creator and a redeemer and a king. No, no, no. He's my dad, right? He's my dad. Let me tell you what happened a couple weeks ago, or no, it was this week. We were at Walmart at 1030 at night. How many know, can you say missions trip? 1030 at night, right? And my daughter, we get in the car, we're driving home, and my daughter says, I left my wallet at Walmart, And I said, oh, okay, why do you even have a wallet? You know, you're nine. (laughs) And she says, and there's a lot of money in it. So I looked at my wife and I said, where is she getting money? How is there money in this? And I said, what's a lot of money? She said, $30. I said, all right, that's a lot of money, I guess. So we'll go back. We spent 60 minutes searching up and down the aisles of Walmart for a Hello Kitty Jingle bag thing. <laughs> Finally, when we located it, we get back in the car and we're driving home, and she says, "Yes, I'm rich again." <laughs> but I want you to know something. About 45 minutes into Walmart searching for a $30 purse, I wanted to go home, but she her, she didn't want to go home. And so, honestly, I stopped searching for $30 and I started searching for my daughter. You know what I mean? There's that moment in a father's heart where you're just like, whatever, no one give her cash anymore, this is terrible, what's happening? And then there's a moment where you say, my baby still is looking for her, for her Hello Kitty purse, and so ma'am, that is why I've lapped this store four times. (laughs) Because I have a daughter, and sometimes I do things for my daughter that I wouldn't do for other people. I mean, I love your kids a little, but I love my kids a lot. (laughs) And what Jesus says is, when we live lives of anxiety and worry, we're forgetting our status in the family, that he's a father. And and so he says, you're acting like an unbeliever, and you don't know that your father cares for you. And I'm here to remind us this weekend, we have not just a king and not just a creator. We have a father who cares for us, right? Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? All right, I got two two proactive ways to battle worry, and then we're going to shut it down. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and tell them, wake up, we got five more minutes. Come on, wake up. We got five more minutes. Wake up, we got five more minutes. All right, let me give you two ways to battle worry, two ways to battle worry straight from Jesus. Here, here's the first one. You got to go after you got to go after God and his kingdom. You got to go after who? Come on. And his kingdom. So this is interesting to me. Jesus doesn't say if you're worried about what you what you wear or what you're going to eat or drink, go work for it. Jesus says go after me and I'm going to take care of the rest of it. It's interesting to me. He says if you have needs on earth, you ought to aim for heaven. Or, or here's Jesus' words, Matthew 6. So, so seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or another translation says seek first. Come on, say that with me. Seek what? Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll add all the, everything else you need. All these. So Jesus literally says this, friends. If you have needs on earth, you don't get them met by aiming at earth. You aim at heaven. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Aim at earth and you'll miss. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. (laughs) Isn't that so good? It's counterintuitive, but Jesus is literally saying, this whole world's chasing after some things, but they got their priorities mixed up and and they're getting it wrong. Their order is off. And if they would prioritize what I prioritize, I'll take care of them. I know this sounds weird. Maybe you're here this weekend. It's a weird thing. I get it. The math doesn't add up. But when we take care of God's kingdom, God comes down and helps us. So so that's the first thing. Seek God in his kingdom. And here's the the second thing. Put Put a boundary on today. Come on, say that with me. Put a what? Put a boundary on today. Let me show you what Jesus says. So don't worry about... Tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It's actually kind of depressing. <laughs> Jesus says, "Hey, there's going to be plenty. Of, there's plenty of problems today. You're worried about tomorrow. You got you got many, You got problems right now. You know what I mean? Here's what he's telling them. He's saying, put a boundary. Worry is about tomorrow, yesterday, regret, future." Jesus says, "Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have its own set of worries. Today Today is the day. Today is the day." So, so here's what I'm going to ask us to do this morning. Develop the art of living one day at a time. So put a boundary around your concern, and then ask yourself, does that concern have to do with today? Or yesterday or tomorrow. And if it has to do with yesterday or tomorrow, it's out of bounds. So here's what that means. If you're starting to worry and you're thinking about, you have regrets about the past, oh, the, the, you, you don't know, Pastor, the last time. I no, 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 that's yesterday. Oh, yeah. But tomorrow, tomorrow. Put a boundary around, around today. Yeah, but, you know, Mondays are the worst. This week on Wednesday. You don't know what happened to me when I was a child. And it lights up, too. This is some sophisticated preaching this weekend. (laughs) What did your pastor preach? I don't know. He just had this buzzer, and he just banged it all day. Jesus says something interesting. I want you to catch it, and then we're going to close with a song. He says, there's no grace in tomorrow because you're not there yet. And there's no grace in yesterday because it's over. There's only grace in the place today. So when I go into my future, no, 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 no. When I step back into my past, no, 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 no. There's only grace for today. It reminds me of Lamentations 3, where it says God's mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is to me today. But that doesn't mean his mercies for me tomorrow, because I'm not in tomorrow yet. Does that make sense? So I can't get grace for tomorrow till when? tomorrow you ever you ever I've been at a a week ago I was at DSW to buy some shoes and I had a coupon there for 50% off or something like that that my wife gave me and I said here you go half off the shoes and they said this does not take effect until next week and I was like well uh, what do we do about that you know (laughs) well sir I'm sorry but 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 okay but just let me take the shoes now no next week well, you can pay full price right now. Well, really, I don't like them full price. How many have you ever liked shoes half price, not full price? They're not full price shoes, and so. Here's what I'm saying. When you worry about tomorrow, you step into a place that grace is not there. And when you live in the past, you step in a place that grace is not there. Jesus says each day, today there's grace for today. There's not grace for tomorrow. So when I spin my wheels and jump into tomorrow, I'm in a place that God is not anymore. I got to hit the button, say, no, 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 no. There's grace for today and develop the art and the discipline of living one day at a time. Draw a boundary around my mind and say, if it's yesterday, it's outside the boundary if it's related to tomorrow it's outside the boundary but for today the bible says so as my days go so will his grace be how many are thankful there's enough grace for today right for today there's enough grace but not for tomorrow and so i hit pause when my worry comes and i say not till tomorrow today is the only place there's grace for me is today last quote and i'm gonna shut it down Your goal in life is not to know every detail of the future but to hold the hand of the one who does I was reading for this series do you know 13 times in the book of the in the Bible the Bible says no one knows no one knows no one knows how many know part of life is like I don't know (laughs) how many the older you get you realize there are some things you do not know right So the question is, in life, do I have to know it all? Do I have to understand it all? Do I have to comprehend it all? No, no, no. I just have to hold the hand of the one who knows it all. So I boldly confess. I bravely lean into this weekend. I don't know. But I'm held by the one who knows it all. And I'm going to live in faith, not in tomorrow's trouble not in the regrets of my yesterday, in my today, and trust that there's grace enough. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna turn it back over to downtown. So God, for every worry and every concern, every anxious thought in these rooms this morning, would you give grace enough for today? Would you help us, your people, draw a boundary around our mind and say, not in yesterday and not in tomorrow, but today we will serve you. And I pray anxiety would be replaced by peace, worry by worship, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn it back over to downtown. I want to do one more thing in this room. Would you bow your heads one more time with me? And We're going to sing one song in just a minute, but before we sing that song, I had this thought this week that... I don't know how people face anxious situations without God. So maybe you're here this weekend and you don't know Jesus. Our heart as a church is not to condemn everyone or anyone, but to invite everyone into a relationship with God. That's not through religion or any denomination, but through what one sinless person did on the cross when Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead. If you're here this morning and you say, Brandon, I'm not sure where I'm at with God, would you pray for me? I want to open my life to God this weekend. I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to get out of your seat. I won't ask you to walk anywhere. None of that. I'll just pray for you. With our heads bowed, nobody's looking around. We don't want to embarrass anybody. You're here this week and you say, Brandon, I'm not sure where I'm at with God. Would you pray for me? Come on, just lift your hands in this room, would you? If you're not sure where you are, yes, thank you, yes, yes, thank you, yes. Thank you, yes, 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 thank you. Anybody else, you just raise your hand and say, Brandon, I'm not sure where I'm at with God. Yes, thank you, yes, thank you, yes, thank you, yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Anybody else? Brandon, I don't know where I'm at with God. Would you pray for me this weekend? I want to open my life to him. It's not magic words, but it's a prayer that goes like this. God, I know I'm not perfect, but you died on a cross to take away my sin and my shame. Today, I've heard that, and I believe that. So I turn away from my sin and myself to you. Would you rescue me? Would you save me? I'm pushing all in with you today. Give me a new start, and help me to live by your grace for you all the days of my life. My life is yours, Jesus. I give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Come on, chapel. A bunch of people have taken steps of faith in God. So good. So good. That's